0: So we're going to read, okay. Uh, Luke 15, 11 through 32. Um, I'm just going to read through it. And then I just want to go through um, verse by verse. And then I just want to read through it um, as I was studying this passage this week. And um, I just I just learned all these crazy things, just contextual stuff, cultural stuff, that I feel like is going to really enhance uh, this passage for us, okay? Um, so Luke 15, 11 through 32. I'm just going to read it once through, and then we're going to go through it together, okay? Okay. Um, Verse 11, then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he, the father, divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Then he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Verse 15, then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his belly or his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way away, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And the servant said to him, Your brother has come, and because he he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But the older son, he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these years, these many years I have been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was right that we should be merry, make merry and be glad. For your, your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. Amen. Amen. You know, a lot of us have heard this scripture. I've, I grew up hearing this story, you know, countless, countless times. Um, but I just wanted to talk again. I feel like it's, it's so good to hear the story again, right? To hear about the Father's heart. And um, before we get into the passage, I just want to paint a picture for you about what's going on, right? Why is Jesus talking about this story? Um, In Luke 15, at the very beginning, it says that all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him, to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes complained, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them, and so he spoke this parable to them, saying, so this is when he begins to talk, it's because all these uh, Pharisees and scribes are complaining about how he's hanging out with these sinners, right? Um, And so in this story, what we can see is that this father had two sons, and this father um, probably owned farmland, okay? And so back in those days, if you own farmland, that means you're a pretty wealthy person, okay? And so the farmland, the, the fields were so precious, actually, they didn't actually build a home on the fields, okay? So in my mind, when I read this story, I'm thinking about, like, okay, a farm. There's, like, a farm, like, a barn there, and they go out and they work on the fields. But actually, back then, they didn't actually live on that field, Okay, so they actually had a field that they owned, but in a separate place further away, they had these things called insulas, okay? And so what these insulas are are these villages, okay, built up of a community of people. And so let's say you have a a field. The father and his family would build a home, okay? And when his sons grew older, they would take a wife, and then they would build a home in the insula, okay? And so you, you can see as the generations pass, these insulas grows bigger and bigger, right? And so it's a community that lives there, okay? And so I'm just saying that because it's important to understand the story in the context of community. It's not just like, oh, this father had a son and two sons, and the story is happening just between the three of them, mm-hmm. right? But it's actually happening in the context of a community, yeah. okay? So when everything is happening, like, what you, what you have to realize is that, like, everyone is seeing and watching everything, yeah. okay? And so when, I'm, when I heard this story before, I'm like, oh, it's like he's in a house— He's talking to his sons. No, it's like everyone can see what's happening. Everyone can see what's going on, okay? All right, so verse 11, it says, he says, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. Okay, and so the father, he divided to them his livelihood. All right, and so just a little more context. The way inheritance worked back in that culture, okay, if a father had two sons, the older son would receive two-thirds of all of his estate, And the younger son would receive one third. Okay, so basically what the younger son is saying, I'm sure you guys have heard this, like, father, let's pretend that you're dead. Okay? (laughs) Let's pretend that you've died today, and give me what I would receive if you died. Right? Basically saying, Dad, I wish you were dead so I could just take what belongs to me. Okay. And so now, in in the traditional Middle Eastern culture, this is. A very, I'm sure not just Middle Eastern culture, but just any culture, right? This is like a terrible thing to say to his dad, right? And if you study, like, this stuff never happens, okay? So just imagine Jesus telling this story, and the people obviously understand the culture. And so when Jesus is saying the story about the son who asks this thing of the father, everyone's like, what the heck? This is not, like, a normal thing that would happen, right? And normally, uh, even if a son came and asked for inheritance that way, the father would never do that. He would never give his son the inheritance, okay? But shockingly, even though the father had every right to be upset, to be offended, right? Um, I imagine, like, to kick him out of his house, um, he grants him his inheritance, okay? Um, He goes out and he takes a look at his estate. And, you know, it's not like today where you go to the bank and you're like, "Um, tell me how much I got. I got, like, $100,000. Can you give me, like, $33,000, and uh, I'm going to transfer it to my son? Right? Like, the wealth back then was in property, people, you know, right? Like, just, like, it's not necessarily, like, cash. So the father has to go. Remember, this is in the context of community. Everyone is watching as the father goes, and he's, like, dividing out his property into a third. Right? So the father, he graciously receives all of the insult and the shame and he divides it and he gives it to his son, okay? And then verse 13, it says, not many days after the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living, okay? And so when it says not many days, it it means that the younger son is like in a hurry to get Mm -hmm. out of there, okay? And so I'm just imagining this, the father, everyone is watching the father like divide out his possessions. They see him handing the possessions over, right? But the son, he's like trying to get out of there. So I imagine what he's doing is he's like selling off all of the property, right? And so imagine like you live in this village, you like you grew up in this village probably. Everyone knows each other, mostly family, right? Even your servants and all their families are living here. And then you see the father, he's like dividing his property, gives it to the son. And then the son is now selling that property to these people, He's liquidating all of his property to take with him to live, right? So you just, like, imagine, like, the controversy in that community, right? If something like that happened. And so it's not just that he did that and it was crazy, but it's, like, just so much the shame and the guilt. Like, the father is watching him do all this stuff. And imagine the shame and the guilt. So the son, he gathers everything that he has. He goes to this far country, okay? He went to this far. It, it's It's not just that he went, like, 10 miles down the road, and he's like living. It's implying that he left the country, okay, and journeyed into a Gentile nation, okay? And that's significant um, because anytime a son takes his inheritance and goes into a, a Gentile nation, um, and he spends all of his inheritance there, like that actually, something happens there, okay? And so there's this, I, as I was, I was like so intrigued because this is. So I've never heard this before. Um, there's this thing called a Kazaza ceremony, okay? I've never heard of Kazaza, okay? The only zaza that I know we need tomorrow, no just kidding. Um, <clears throat> that was a warrior's joke if you didn't know. I just, I just have to slide, you know have to slide a warrior's joke in there somewhere, always, right? Um, so <laughs> Kazaza ceremony um, basically is when a Jewish boy or man you lose your inheritance, to a Gentile, um, they would perform this ceremony. And basically what, it, it's basically a public shaming, okay? It's a public rejection of you. And so basically what they would do is, I'm sure you're returning back, all of the elders, everyone in the community will stand outside the gate of that village, and they will take this pot, this clay pot, okay? And, and as you come, they'll smash it on the ground in front of you, okay? And then they will say to you, this is what you've done, okay? Okay? You've broken relationship with us and with this community and from this moment forward we have nothing to do with you. Wow. Okay? So that's like a cultural thing so like just the younger son knows this. Okay? So he's not like just thinking like oh I'm just going to take the inheritance and we'll see what happens and maybe it'll work out and maybe. No, he knows that when he's doing this he's separating himself that the like when he returns there's only going to be because I was waiting for him, right, the father knows this, the community knows this, right, so it's like there's levels to this, right, the amount of shame that the father has to feel, like the community is watching, and they're like, ooh, you know, and so it's like setting this stage, and then it says he goes there, and he wastes his possession on prodigal living, okay, it's wasteful living, and so Jesus is saying this to kind of communicate like what What is happening? So everyone who's listening to the story, too, understands. Oh, shoot, Kazaza. That's what's coming. Right? They understand. Okay? So the son liquidates everything he has. He knows probably never coming back. Okay? And then he lives his wasteful life. He understands reputation with his father, his relationship with the community, all broken. Right? It's past the point of no return. Verse 14. It says, when he has spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land. And he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. Uh, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine. You know, it's interesting. It's like being apart from God, at the beginning, it's always fun. When you're in sin, right? Unless you're not doing it right, right? Um, when you're in sin, it's like, it's fun. It feels good, right? If you're sinning and it doesn't feel good, then there's, you're doing it wrong, right? But... There will always come a point. There will always come a point, though, where the famine comes, right? When you begin to be in want. It doesn't matter how great that experience is. Always, there comes a season, the famine comes, right? It says that he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine, right? And so when it says that he joined himself to a citizen, basically what it's saying is he's like tagging along. You know, like, have you guys ever had a friend that's just, like, no one really wants him around, but he's just there? Oh. <laughs> Nobody? <laughs> what? We're, is this, is, were you guys that friend? <laughs> I don't know. It's like, everyone's like, oh, but you thinking of somebody. Um, no, but he was, like, that dude who's, like, you know, hanging around, like, trying to catch scraps, right? He's that dude. He's just hanging around, okay? And in that culture, there's this thing. It's like when you have somebody hanging around with you that you just don't want around you, there's this thing that they do where they they ask you to do, like, the lowliest job, right? And then they're like, oh, okay, I get the picture. Like, I don't, okay, I'm going to go, right? But this guy, he's so desperate, they, like, send him to feed the swine, and he's, like, willing to do it because he's so desperate, right? Number one, it's, like, the lowliest job. No one wants to do it. Number two, as a Jew, right, that's, like, the most humiliating thing because, like, pigs are considered unclean in that culture, right? And so he's so desperate that he's willing to go do that. And it says that he was so desperate he would gladly have filled his stomach with the paws that the swine ate, right? Not even just hanging around the pigs, but he would have eaten what they were eating. Like, that just kind of shows you, like, how desperate, how just like lowly, how things have turned basically, right? He went from this guy who had a lot of money, like his father was a wealthy man, so a third of that is just a lot of money, right? To now this guy who's like doing this lowly, disgusting thing that no one wants to do. And then it says at the end, like no one gave him anything, which probably means that he asked, right? And no one was willing to give him anything, okay? It's interesting because um, Jesus is like telling the story, and I imagine the scribes and the Pharisees, they know the culture, they know the rules, they're like, yeah, he's getting what he deserved, yeah. right, they're like listening with that kind of mindset, verse 17, it says, and when he came to himself, right, he, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger, I will arise, and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So now the prodigal son, he's like starting a scheme, right? I feel like the son was, um, I don't know if if parents you have like a child like this, but it's like the son that's always like thinking like, how can I get my way? How can I? (laughs) Like even before, like in the beginning of the story, it's like, how can I get all of this money, right? He's like scheming like that. So he's like, eating, and all of a sudden, one day, he just realizes, dude, like, all of my father's servants actually live a better life than me. I know if I go back, Kazaza is waiting for me, right? Um, But he's, like, so desperate. He's like, but you know what? I won't go back as a son. Maybe if I tell my father, you know what? I sinned against you. I admit what I've done. I accept what you have for me. Just make me a servant, Mm -hmm. right? Then my life, There is probably going to be better than my life like this, right? And so he rose and came to his father. And we all know this part of the story, right? It says, when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and no longer be called your sin, right? So this is the turning point. We all know this part of the story. the prodigal after he spent everything he returns and like I imagine on the way he's like practicing his speech he's like preparing himself right he knew that he had dishonored the family he'd insulted them he knows everything that's happening okay and even the people that are listening to the story they're like oh yeah he's gonna get it like they already know what's happening right they know what the end of the story is but here's the interesting thing like Jesus anytime he tells like a parable uh, he, it's like there's like a twist, right? It's something that you're not expecting. Yeah. Um, so the father, this is just what I'm imagining. What I, as I'm reading the story, like I, I imagine like if if the the culture is that Kazaza is waiting for the son, right? The father knows what the 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 village how the village is going to treat his son, yeah. right? So the father is waiting, right? He's he's waiting to to see if his son returns, okay? It's not just like, oh, um, let's just go and see. But no, the father is like standing there, I imagine, waiting, okay? Because he knows that if his son returns, he's going to receive the shaming, he's going to be disowned by this community, right? And so when the father sees him, what does he do? He, He runs towards him. As soon as he sees him, he runs, right? And there's just a couple things. I feel like some of you have heard this before. There's a couple things, right? So number one, in those days... It's a very shameful thing for a man uh, to show his legs and to run, okay? It's kind of weird. Maybe he had really pasty white legs like me, right? Um, But like back then, they wore these like robes, right? If you've seen pictures, like they wore these long robes. And so what they'd have to do is they'd have to pull up the robes, right? And that's where the whole thing like girding up your loins, right? They got to pull it up, and they, they, they wrap it underneath and tie it into their belt, yep. right? And then they got to run. And so number one, the father runs to his son, which is already a shameful thing, right? He's the master of this village, right, this community, and he's running towards a son who deserves, I'm not talking about like, oh, man, they're mean, like that's not cool. Of them. No, like rightfully, by law deserves to be excommunicated, disowned, and shamed in front of everyone, but also, I I learned this too, like, when the father runs, like, let's say the master of the village runs out, like, like, it's not like everyone just watches him running, like, all of the servants, all of this, you're all supposed to go with him, okay, so imagine, like, the father starts to run, and, like, the slaves or the servants or whoever, they don't even know what's going on, but they just have to start running, right? (laughs) And so it's not just like this private, like the father saw the son and he ran by himself. To, no, it's like the whole village is like on notice, and they're like, "Oh, what's going on?" And like every, you just see like a crowd of people just running, right? So the father he he runs, and all the servants and all this, they're they're running, and that's why when the father says, "Go get a ring, go get the rope," there's like somebody there, because they had run with the father, right? And so it, it's it's so interesting, it like changes, right? The story changes when you're thinking of it in the context of. Of community. And so the father he takes the shame and the humiliation. He knows that if he let someone else from the village see him first, right? He knew what they're gonna do. So he actually goes first and he does this unthinkable thing. Okay, he, he he falls on him. Just imagine, like his son is like dirty, he's been with the pigs, right? It says he doesn't have shoes. Um, and that means that it's a sign of slavery, right? Every free man wore shoes or sandals, and the father, even though the son is, like, dirty and, and wretched, just, like, despicable, all these things, he, like, falls on him, and he covers him, right, and, it, and like, I'm imagining the village is so confused, like, yeah. oh, what, what, what is going on, like, like, but our, our master is doing this thing, and he tells his servants, right, he says, go and get the best robe, and what does that signify, usually the best robe is reserved for the master, so it's probably the father's robe. Okay, or the guest of honor. He says, go and get the best robe, which means what? He's been restored to favor. He says, go get the ring and put it on his hand, right? The ring is what they used to mark seals, right? Back in those days, like, when you send a letter, it's like a letter to confirm that this is sent from this person. They have this seal, this wax, right? And then you mark it with your ring. And so you know it's like that this is... Like, the authority where it comes from. And it's, it's a sign that his uh, authority had been restored to him, right? He's set back in his place as a son, okay? He's empowered, okay? And then Sandals, I said, like, it's a sign of freedom, right? So only slaves walk bare feet. But the father's returning his freedom back to him. And so, like, Jesus is saying this story, and he's, like, talking about these things. And, and just as the villagers probably confused in the story, like, these people who are listening are, like, They've, they're, like, so shocked at what's happening because that's not what they expected, right? Verse 23, it says, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to marry. You know, the, fat, the fatted calf is what they save, usually for the wedding or, like, a big celebration, right? Usually it's, like, the wedding of the first son, okay? So that's, like, what they save it for. But he's willing to take it out and, like, Celebrate. That's like the type of celebration it is. And and so, you know, it's not just a celebration in the house with the father and the son, but it's this whole, the whole community is like celebrating together. And so you see this, what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be this public shaming, this public humiliation, but the father turns it and makes it a public celebration, right? A restoration, a public restoration of the son, right? And so now... We go to the next part of the story. And it's interesting, too, because, you know, when I used to read the story before, it was like, oh, here's part one, and then here's part two, and this happens after this part. But it's actually, like, things happening concurrently, right? So the younger, the older son, like, he's there. He's watching everything, right? Imagine the older son hearing his younger brother say to his father, Dad, I wish you were dead, right, so that I can get what belongs to me, Okay? Imagine, like, how the older brother feels. Now, imagine being the older brother, and now you're working in the fields, and you're trying to be a good son, okay? You're doing what you think the father is, like, wanting you to do. And you know that this son, like, you know about Kazaza, okay? And you know, like, if the son returns, like, that's what he should get. And as the older brother, you're like, no, he deserves that. That's jacked up, right? So now the, the older brother sees all this, and he's working in the fields every day like a good son. Okay? And he returns, and now he sees like, all of this stuff, and he's like, there's celebration. And he's like, so confused. Right? Like, what's, what, what is going on? It can't be my, my, that my brother's back. Yeah. Right. So he asked the servant, um, and the servant explains to him what happened. But he was angry and would not go in. And therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. And so he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you, I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never even gave me a goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, it's not even my brother, this son of yours, right? Who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. He's not wrong. I think if I was the older brother, I'd feel the same way. And so why was the older brother upset? He was upset because he thought that he was doing the will of the father, right? He was being a good son, working in the fields, but he felt like he deserved, if he did that, he deserved something, right? See, the younger son, he deserved to receive the kazaza, right? But the son didn't get that. But he thought, as a good son, if he was working in the fields, He should deserve even a goat to celebrate, right? It sounds, it makes sense. I totally understand. But why would that make him upset in this situation, right? It's knowing fully well that his brother deserved this thing, right? He felt like he actually deserved more love from his father than his younger son. So what he's doing is he's saying like, this younger son did all this stuff, right? Disrespected you. He shamed you. Humiliated you in front of everybody. Now I'm doing this good thing. Right, I'm being a good son. Like, why are you showing more love to your younger son than to me? Right. He believed that he should have been compensated for something. Right. He felt like he needed to do this thing. He felt like he should have have earned the favor of the father if he had done these things. Right. It's interesting to point out. I think um, the the differences between the younger son and the older son, because the story is not so much about just the younger son. Right. Is both of these sons are missing something. The younger son, he actually knew what belonged to him, right? By law, he understood that in his inheritance, that actually belonged to him. But he didn't want the responsibilities attached to it. Okay, the older son, he knew his responsibilities as a son. But he actually didn't know what belonged to him. Here's the thing, like the father says, all that I have is yours. Right. It's not he's not just saying like, oh, as a father and and you as my son, like all of this, you can ask for it and it's yours. No, literally by law. Right. His father, his his estate, if it divided into two thirds and a third, like he already sent away one third, like literally everything in that place is going to belong to him. Right. It literally does belong to you. Right. But the older son was uh, unaware that all this would belong to him. And you, you can see that because he's like, you didn't even give me a goat right don't you don't you understand like all of this is going to belong to you right all of this is going to belong to you but he felt like he had to work to earn that right he had to earn his keep right who else does that the servants right and so like you start to see the way that he's thinking is not as a son but he had the mentality of a servant right he thinks that if i work in the fields if i can give good you know live in a good way in the way that my father wants. Maybe I can earn his favor. Maybe I can earn even a little goat, right? Maybe I can celebrate. But it's actually the servant mentality that actually keeps him from enjoying the full benefits of what it means to be a son. Okay, so what is, it's like, the way he's thinking to give context, so the way that he thinks is kind of like this. It's like, if we come to church, then, then, then maybe God will be pleased with me. okay. If we lead worship powerfully, then God will meet his people and his spirit will come. If we pray hard, then maybe God will listen to me. When actually, if you have the mindset of a son, because God is pleased with me, I can come to church. Because God will meet his people and his spirit will come, right? The worship team, we can lead worship powerfully. Because God will listen, we will pray fervently, right? Do you, do you notice the difference? One thing is, if I do this thing, then God will do something for me. But the other thing is, no, because God is this way, because this is who he is, and because I'm in that place, right, I can do these things. It's the, if we do the right thing, God will bless us versus that we are blessed, and therefore we can do the right thing, okay? And this is the big key. This is the big key. The biggest thing that both sons missed, right, the greatest benefit of being a son is having that relationship, that access to intimacy with the father. Because it's from the father that all of these benefits flow, right? Even the material things, they didn't earn that. But it's because of their relationship with the father, right, that they have all of these things, okay? The younger son, he only wanted the material benefits. He didn't want a relationship. Father, I wish you were dead. Right? I'd rather you die so that I could have these things. Wow. Okay? The older son, he wanted to earn his material things. I'm just going to work out in the field. Right? I'm just going to serve in the church. I'm just going to do these things, and then maybe God will bless me. Maybe the Father will bless me. I don't necessarily need to be in the presence. Right? Um, there's a story. So, years back, we did an ABBA conference, um, and uh, we had Jen and Brian Johnson, if you guys know who they are. Um, they're the worship pastors at Bethel. And this is kind of before they, like, blew up a little bigger. Because <laughs> probably today we asked them to come to the conference and they'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, like, um, I don't know. But it was like they came and I remember... Um, Mickey, who was one of our pastors at the time, he, he, like, had the opportunity to, like, sit with Brian, and after it was over, he took him out to dinner, and he was like, hey, so, you know, how do you think worship went? Do you guys think you did well? Like, blah, blah, blah. And Brian just, like, looked at him, and he's like, you know, Mickey, I, a long time ago, I stopped asking myself um, how well I did. Mm-hmm. Because what I just believe is that I know God is going to come. come I believe he's a good God, yeah. and He's sent me to do this. And so if he's good, like, I just come and do it, and then I just enjoy what the Father is doing, right? And so for Brian, basically what he's saying is, like, because I'm a son, this thing that I do, it doesn't define me. So I don't have to ask if it's good or not. It doesn't even matter, right? It doesn't matter. But as a son, I do these things because that's the heart of the Father. And if I can enter into that place and I can do those things, then the Father is already pleased. I don't have to worry about if it went well or not, right? The younger son, the older son, they didn't realize the greatest benefit to being a son was the relationship and intimacy, the love of the father, right? So going back, why was the older son mad? He thought he was doing the will of the father, and he had these expectations for what it should look like if he was doing those things, right? And I guess if you ask the question, like, was he right? Like, Sort of, right? Because I'm sure the father also cares about the estate, right? And I, I think some of you guys are hearing me say this, and it's like, um, I, it feels like I'm saying like, oh, serving in the house is not that important. No, that's not true. Like, God cares about all these things, but I guess if you have to ask the question, like, what is the will of the father? Like, what is the thing that the father cares about? Why do we do all of these things? Okay, what was on the forefront of, of his heart and his mind? And if you just read the story, it's so obvious what the father cared about, right? The father was waiting for his son, right? The father was waiting to receive his lost son, and he was even willing to take on the shame, the guilt, the humiliation. He was willing to expose his legs, right, and run. He was willing to 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 take all of that to receive his son. Okay, there's a reason why Jesus like shares three parables. Okay, the first one, when, when, when we see the story, Jesus, he starts with the parable of the lost sheep. He says this, this man, he had 100 sheep and one was lost. He leaves the 99, he goes to search for the one, right? And the second one is, is a woman, she has 10 silver coins, and she loses one, and so she searches the whole house until she finds it, right, celebrate. But this last one is a little different. Like these other two stories, it's like, it goes according to your expectation. But this last one is different because the father has two sons. In the previous stories, like if you follow the trend, it's like the father would have gone to look for his lost son. But the father waits. So why is it different? So if we look back to verse 1 and 2, right, when we see why Jesus is telling these parables, we see it's because the Pharisees, like Jesus is sitting with these, These quote unquote sinners, tax collectors, and these Pharisees and scribes are like watching and they're like so judgmental, right? It's like, man, this man, he's sitting, he's associating with these outcasts, these people who don't deserve, right, to be associated with. And Jesus is actually speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes, right? The story is for them. And the thing is, when Jesus tells tells a parable, usually... It's like involving the people that are there. Okay, so when Jesus is telling the story, like, everyone can kind of understand, like, who they're represented in the story. Okay? And and basically what Jesus is saying, he's saying is that just because you're in the Father's house, and just because you think you're doing the Father's business, it doesn't necessarily mean that you know the Father's heart. Right? There's a the thing about the Pharisees and the scribes. I feel like in the church, we've talked so much about Pharisees and the scribes. We talked about them like when you hear Pharisee and scribe, you get this like negative connotation, like, oh, legalistic, all these things, right? But these like men, they were considered men of God, all right? In the society at the time, they were considered the religious leaders. They were the people that everyone looked up to, right? These are the people that you're like, this is godly men of God. They know what it looks like. And, and for them, they genuinely believe that what they were doing was the work of the Lord. They genuinely believed, like, with all their heart, that what they were doing was God's will. Right? But Jesus is saying, like, just because you're in the house, just because you you think you're doing the Father's business, it doesn't mean necessarily that you know the Father's heart. Right? And this is another thing, too. I mean, it doesn't say in the Scripture, but... This is what I'm, like, thinking. Like, when Jesus is talking and he's speaking to the Pharisees, he's also speaking to his disciples. Mm -hmm. Right? In Jesus' perfect world, like, I imagine if this story happened in the way that Jesus would have wanted, okay, what would the older son do? I imagine the older son would go and look for his lost brother. Right? The older brother would know his father's heart so much Mm -hmm. that he would go. He'd be like, Father, I'm going to be the one to go right, because I know this is what you want, right, and how do I know, like, where do I get that from, Jesus is the embodiment of the Father's love, when Jesus came, right, he came, the Father sent him, right, and Jesus laid his life down, so that we could know him, so that we would, we would know, he covered our sin, and our shame, and our humiliation, and he gave his life, and he went, so that we could have life, right, Jesus is the embodiment of the heart of the Father, Right? And I feel like this connects with like the four commandments that Jesus says. The first one, the greatest commandment, he says what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. Right, And the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? And then later he kind of switches it up. He says, a new commandment I give you. Right? Love, love one another as I have loved you. Okay? And then the last thing he says before he goes, he says, go and make disciples. And to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, right? So he goes from love God, love people. And then he says love actually like I love. And then he says to go. Right? And when I I like take all of those things, like I see the heart of the Father, you know, coming through those commandments. Right? And what he's saying to his disciples is, you know, like they don't know this yet, but pretty soon I'm not going to be here. And what am I calling you to do? Is to be the older brother to share the good news Mm -hmm. that the father, he loves you. He's waiting for you, right? He's, he's waiting and watching for you to turn. And that if you repent and turn, Mm -hmm. right, that the father will run after you. He will cover you, right? If you follow after Jesus, you can have this relationship. Mm -hmm. You can have this closeness with God. Mm -hmm. This parable basically sums up the heart of the father, And I feel like we've heard this parable, like, so many times, but, like, I I feel like this is the heart of it, and I feel like you can never graduate from this message, right? Because this is really about what we're about. Mm -hmm. Why do we gather together? Why do we do what we do, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like maybe some of you, as you're listening to me, you're like, oh, my God, he's going to talk about evangelism. (laughs) (laughs) I just don't do that. (laughs) Evangelism. Right, You're like, I'm an introvert, and I can um, collect the offering, and um, I don't like talking to people. You, you know, sharing the good news and sharing the gospel is not about evangelism. Mm-hmm. It's about catching the fire in the heart of the Father to see the lost That's sons brought it. back home. That's yes. it. Right? If you understand what the Father has done for you. Preach. If you understand where you've been and where you are now, if you understand the Father's heart for his lost sons, how can you not want to share that good news with people? How can you not, right? It's not about telling people like, oh, here are the four points, right? That's it. And praying a prayer. No, it's, it's the heart. It's catching the heart. It's just saying like, man, everywhere I go, I have this message, this message of my life, right? Every single one of us has a story. Every single one of us right? If you know Jesus, if you know Jesus, you know like he's done something in your life, right? You just have to share that story. You just have to share what that's about. The older brother, he could have gone. If he knew the heart of the father, if he knew, if he was close, if he knew what his father's heart was about, he would have gone, right? And he would have brought his father, his son home. And this is what we should be doing. This is what should fuel us Right, there's too many of us who are working in the fields of our father's house, and actually we're waiting, we're expecting the lost sons to come, okay, so we gather together on Sundays and we're like, oh, people will show up here, and you know what, like, this service, this is what's going to get them saved. But I feel like, instead of working in the fields, right, like we're called, there's a space that we spend more time than we are in this place, yeah. right? All of us, we're only here once, twice, if you're really holy, three times, maybe, <laughs> right? But there's, like, the rest of the, the days, there are other places that we are, yeah. right? And it's not by coincidence, I think, and I feel like instead of spending all of our time, if all of our effort is spent, like, how can we do more here? And, I'm not, and I don't want you to get this wrong. Like, I want you to serve here, right? Like, this is important. But, like, this is for a reason. This is for a purpose, right? And if we're spending all of our time, I, I say like this. If if you're so invested in this church community that you have no friends outside of the church, there's something not right there, Okay? Right? I, I want us to be involved here. But if you're so involved, if you're like, man, I love this community so much. I actually have no friends outside of this. I want to challenge you. Get to know the Father's heart. Yeah. Yeah. His Father's heart is not just for the people in this room. Okay, like Hopefully the people in this room know the Father's heart. But we want to go and we want to find the people who don't know. Right? Can you imagine in this story... I'll do this. Um, and I guess, Gabe, if you want to come and play. Um, this. Like, can you imagine if in this story, the older brother went and um, searched for his lost son? Can you imagine if there were two older brothers and they went out and looked for the lost son? Can you imagine if there was three or four? Can you imagine if the whole community they saw the father and they saw him watching and waiting for his son. And instead of Kazaza, what they actually did was went out and looked for the lost son. Can you imagine how different that community would have looked? Now imagine this house. You know, we've talked about like what this season is about. Can you imagine as a house, if there was one person that you know the Lord has put in your heart and you're going out every week trying to get that lost son, trying to talk to... I'm not saying salvation is our job, but I'm saying pursuing. When you know the heart of the Father is to share that love, right? Imagine if every single one of us, we went. Can you imagine how different it would be? Right? Can you imagine like if you're so invested and, you, and, you, and that person comes to know Jesus, Right? comes to know the Father's heart. Like, imagine the celebration. Now imagine, like, all of us are celebrating together, Mm -hmm. right? How different it would be. And I really believe that God is calling us in this season to to know his heart. And and I'm not saying, like, we shouldn't do this church service well. No, but, like, to understand, like, why do we do this? Why do we do what we do? You know? I really believe that in this season... We're going to see lost sons come to know the Father. And it's not going to be because they come here into this place, but it's because each of us, we're going to go carrying the Father's heart, carrying the message of His love, and we're going to see God encounter His sons and His daughters out there. Right? And we're going to bring them into this place, and as a family, we get to celebrate. Amen? Amen. I really believe that. Why don't we we rise to our feet, and I'm going to pray for us. I keep talking about the father's heart but you know the father's heart is for his sons to return home You know, for some of us, we can get so caught up with the housekeeping stuff, the working in the field stuff. We actually lose sight of the Father's heart. And I feel like the only way for us to recapture the Father's heart is to understand how deep the Father's love for us is. For you. To remember that we were once the younger son. Right, to remember that what Jesus did on the cross was for me. And I feel like for some of us, it's like it's been hard to feel that. And so I just want to pray for us today. I feel like some of us have been feeling far from God. Why some of us, we feel like there's a famine in our souls. And maybe we were, like, struggling to find a way back to the Father. And maybe we're struggling with this feeling like, man, I feel this famine, but maybe the only way to do that is to earn God's favor. Maybe if I come to church or maybe if I serve, then maybe I can earn the favor of, of the Father. But the favor, of the, God, of the favor of the Father can only be given when we come into his presence, yeah. when we commune yeah. with him, when we have relationship with him. And maybe sometimes when we hear about these rules and commitments, like membership, what is all this? Right, we we feel this resistance and this pushback in our hearts. Maybe for some of us, we're carrying discontent, disappointment. And maybe like we serve, but we hide behind those things. And we feel disappointed because even though we're serving, like maybe we don't see God moving in our lives. And we're like, God, I'm giving you all of my time, I'm doing all these things. But God, why don't you bless me? God, why don't you favor me? Right? And even when we're, like, in prayer or worship, we feel this resistance, like, wanting to do those things, it doesn't feel like is the answer. And maybe feeling like giving our time to other people is just like a burden, you know, and so we want to, like, conserve ourselves. It's like, I don't have enough to give. And maybe there's some of us, we just don't know the Father. Maybe we've just been living our lives the way that we've been wanting to live, but we can't help but feel like there's something more. And you keep hearing about the Father's love, but you've never experienced that for yourself. And I really feel like this morning, God is coming, and he's, he's here to bring restoration, right? The Father's heart is for his sons, and I feel like, today this morning he's coming to cover he's coming to release his presence right? just like he did in the story and I feel like he's coming to do it and I said before like this was all happening in the context of community and the main way that we experience that is through our community and so this is what I want to do today um, if we can have our leaders CG leaders or elders, whoever it is, like if you could come stand in the front. Like we just want to pray. If you are one of those people that I was talking about and you feel all these things, yeah, come come to the front. Um, we want to pray for you. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll have some worship playing. But I just want to give you a moment to respond. And I want you to know that there is a community here, right, who wants to embrace you, who wants to cover you. So God, um, I just, I just thank you for your love towards us. It's just not enough that you're a loving father. It's not enough that you have great love god that great love it only means something if it's for us and god i thank you that your love it's for us god and and this morning god you're pouring your love out in this place god you're pursuing the hearts of your sons and daughters and maybe there's a there's there are, are are people here who just don't sense you who feel discouraged who feel distant God, I just pray that you would just pour out your love to them. God, that they would feel the embrace of their Heavenly Father. They would feel their Father's arms reaching for them. God, would they know how deep and how wide your love for them is? God. And God, for some of us, God, I pray that you would reveal the Father's heart to us. God that you want to see lost sons returned home. God, give us a burden. God, give us a burden for your sons, God. Give us a burden for your heart. So Jesus, I pray that you would come. Reveal yourself, God. Show us who you are. God, show us what you're doing. God, that you've paved the way for us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you just begin to work in the hearts of your people. God, I just speak supernatural encouragement, God. And God, even supernatural boldness, God, just to admit where we are, to say this is where I am. This is the condition of my heart. And Father, I need you. I need your love. And so Lord, I pray that you'd be here in this place, God. Be in the midst of us.